Hi, welcome to Nightmare Somewhere Nap Size. This is episode two. The following contains distressing content and coarse language. In the early 1800s, it was a time when a lot of progress was being made in the area of human anatomy. Scotland was leading the charge into this study and enhancing knowledge of human anatomy helped with many areas of medicine and surgery. Something was needed though to research and teach anatomy. It was human cadavers. At that time in Scotland, the law was only that a very select group of bodies could be used for dissection. They were prisoners, suicide victims and orphans. It is pretty easy to figure out that the demand for cadavers quickly began to outstrip the supply. It's probably even easier to figure out that this shortage would give rise to some fairly demented entrepreneurial spirit. Grave robbing became popular as laws surrounding this were very free, not restrictive at all. At the time, the law forbade the disturbing of a grave or the theft of items belonging to the deceased, but taking the body was not punishable. As the law saw it, the body didn't technically belong to anyone. Grave robbing was something that hit other countries too during this era. Not so much Australia though, as we were a penal colony with a bit of decorum. Body snatchers were given a fairly glamorous name of resurrection men. Is it just me or is that misleading? Resurrection men? Oh, it doesn't seem right. Anyhow, this sort of activity led the public to design and use mort safes, tombs, vaults and watch guards to protect the graves. So mort safes were complex and expensive, so only the rich could afford them. Watch houses were a bit more viable as they were inexpensive and sort of run by the community. They took off in Scotland during that time. Friends and relatives of the deceased would take turns to watch over the graves. These, this sort of collection of people were called watching societies. And in Glasgow during that time, the early 1800s, one of these watching societies had 2,000 members. William Burke was born in Ireland and was well educated. He fled to Scotland, leaving his wife behind after a family dispute. So he got married after he settled in Edinburgh and began work as a cobbler. William Hare was also born in Ireland, but he did not have such a comfortable upbringing like Burke. Another difference is that he was not so well educated. He was illiterate. He too moved to Edinburgh. He married a woman named Margaret there. Margaret had been the wife of the owner of a lodging house where William Hare had lived, but the owner died. After this, William Hare married Margaret and they ran the business together. The two men, so William Burke and William Hare, 
met while working on a harvest and became friends. It was a real meeting of the minds. It was in November of 1827 when one of Hare's lodgers, called Old Donald, died. He owed Hare four pounds in rent, so Burke and Hare figured out a way for him to make up this financial loss. After the man's body had been put in a coffin, they removed it and put in a piece of large wood instead. When the coffin was collected for burial, no one suspected a thing. They took the body to Edinburgh University where they met surgeon Robert Knox. They made a profit on old Donald's debt, actually. They were given £7.10 for his body. Two months later, another lodger of Hare's would become victim of their venture. His name was Joseph, and he had become unwell, which seemed to be all the impetus Burke and Hare needed to start plying him with whiskey and then suffocate him with a pillow. Then they travelled to surgeon Robert Knox and were paid another £10. Not ones to quit while they're ahead. It was the next month they would kill again. Abigail Simpson was walking along the street late at night. She was drunk and the men invited her to the lodging house. She was suffocated and her body was sold for £10. Another lodger, who was a travelling salesman, became unwell and was promptly suffocated. His body was sold for £10. Then Mary Patterson, she had met the men while out with a friend of hers called Janet Brown. They were invited back to the lodging house where they began to drink whiskey. Janet left the house after Burke's wife accused her of having an affair with her husband. Mary Patterson was asleep though during this and she was subsequently smothered and killed. The men kept killing for several months preying on tenants and vulnerable members of the community, including a beggar who was coaxed into the lodging home. Each time they earned between eight and ten, ten pounds. During this time, they lived opulently, so they must not have read any sort of articles about how to diminish suspicion of your criminal behaviour. I guess they may have felt fairly infallible, particularly as the good surgeon himself was paying hand over fist for these fresh bodies that were in much better condition than the bodies being supplied by the town's resurrection men. To make a risk-taking venture even riskier, they killed a mentally disabled beggar James Wilson, who was well known in the area. He was nicknamed Daft Jamie and had clubbed feet and facial deformities. This of course was unique and roused suspicion, not from Surgeon Knox though. He forked over the payment. It was his assistants at the university who voiced their concern. To avoid any other further questions from students or the audience, he promptly removed the boy's head and feet before the dissection. 
With caution to the wind, they lured their final victim, Margaret Doherty, to the lodging house. Her body was carelessly left in a pile of hay at the end of the bed, and it was discovered by one of the lodgers the next day. The lodger quickly left to inform police. They were intercepted by Burke's wife, who tried to offer them a bribe for their silence, but they refused. While this was happening, Burke and Hare took Margaret's body to Robert Knox and were paid £10. The next day, they were visited by police. There was precious little in the way of evidence, though, and no body. The investigators did find some clothing belonging to the victims, but that was about it. So, William Hare who was the one to not have a formal education, was the one to really look after number one. He was offered immunity if he confessed, and bam, did he take that deal. This left William Burke to be the only one to stand trial and cop the punishment. William Burke was found guilty on Christmas Day of 1882, and sentenced to death by hanging. He was executed a month later in a public hanging, and keeping with the law of the day, and that Burke was a prisoner, his body was then sent to Edinburgh University where it was dissected in an anatomy lecture. His skeleton was put on display and it remains at the university to this day. Thank you for listening to Nightmare Napsize. I hope you join me next time. Bye-bye for now.